this book that you've written, K-Pop The Odyssey, fantastic book. I really enjoy it, um, particularly because it looks at English language sources, Korean language sources. It explains things so well. And you look at K-Pop through three different perspectives as a genre, as an industry, as a culture, much more. Let's start by moving through some of those, Usok. K-Pop as a genre. What are some of the arguments for or against? What's your personal take on this? Is it is it a question we can answer? Is K-pop a genre? Oh, man. And the funny thing about this topic is that this was a topic I couldn't figure out how to adequately answer until the very end of the book writing process. And that's mm. funny because this is these are the first three chapters in the book. And it took me probably the last like couple of uh, moments to finish it. Short answer is that I think and it took a lot of discussions with people just like Professor Lee, who was also on the show. Mm. The shorter answer is that personally, I see it as a cultural phenomenon that involves much more than the music itself. Um, how I try to explain it to like a layperson, mm. uh, and also I think my role uh, in K-pop, I kind of see myself as a facilitator. Like I don't consider myself, I don't call myself an expert. I see like I try to break things down for the lay people. And how I explain it to people is that I see it as like a triangle. There's like three components, like a triumvirate. We have the artist uh, and the music. Mm. which is one component the second is the company which is the industry system mm. or uh, vice versa and then we have the culture that is shaped in large part by the fandoms so we had artists company and fandom in that triangle so when we talk about k-pop in a legitimate discussion i think that we have to talk about all three that's why when we talk about just the artists and the music there's a lot more that we have to dissect so to talk about the arguments against the K is K-pop a genre thing mm -hmm. within this umbrella term? I think um, there's so many different sounds, right? Like if you look at one artist's like discography, there's so many different sounds, genres, yeah. influ influences, and multiple songwriters come together to write one song. Mm -hmm. Even though an idol group, like primarily, they may do like dance-based pop sounds, we do see a variety of influences, right? Yeah. But the argument for K-pop as a genre, which I do see, um, I think that when a lot of people talk about K-pop, it's usually pretty clear what they're referring to. I think. K-pop is often also used synonymously when talking about other genres, um, when we're talking about like hip-hop, J-pop, dance-pop, and K-pop, right? Mm -hmm. So there is this sort of ease of categorization factor, I think, especially in the context of like music award ceremonies, just like the like the MTV Video Music Awards, like best K-pop category. So something, something like for like that categorization aspect of it, in my opinion. Mm. Does... Does that, when you mention these award shows and things like that, does the category of K-pop then limit it because it allows, you know, these uh, big award shows and these com uh, things to just put all the Korean stuff under one umbrella without bringing it into the mainstream? So it's not just, you know, best pop or best artist, but it's like best Korean artist. It's always kind of othering. I know David Bryan of the Talking Heads wrote a good piece about that on world music. Does does K-pop need to transcend the term K-pop in that sense? So, yeah, in the book, I tackled this issue, I think, referring back to that 2019 uh, era, 2019 MTV Video Music Awards. And for those of you listening, so this was they first created a separate best K-pop category for the first time. And they mm -hmm. did not include BTS, uh, their single Boys With Love, which was actually a pretty big hit that year. They didn't include BTS in any of the major categories. And I think a similar, this sort of line of reasoning is similar to how we don't really refer to world music as such anymore. Like right. the way certain cultural and musical forms are depicted as you know exotic foreign by this sort of western central gaze 
when in fact these types of musical and cultural cultural forms haven't existed for a long time elsewhere. So that was, I think, a lot of the K-pop fans and myself included, like that was our gripe. It's like, where did this like best K-pop category come from? Like you knew K-pop was a thing this whole time. Hmm. Now you want to capitalize on it, but instead of nominating these uh, artists on any other category, you lump them into all one. Mm. Fast forward to 2022, obviously BTS's uh, Grammys are actually this weekend or tomorrow. Obviously BTS is nominated for, uh, I believe, best pop group, uh, best group performance in the pop category, mm. but they're still not uh, nominated for like record of the year, song of the year, uh, artist of the year, something like that. So they, they did sweep the awards at um, American Music Awards, but so I think there's a little bit of progress to be made on that point. Will yeah. they continue with this best K-pop category, at least in the MTV Video Music Awards context? I think they will. Mm. Uh, they are going to probably try to capitalize on this, like, you know, because K-pop is now a term that at least, like, people have heard about. But I hope that, you know, at least if we're going to do this, like, let's do this right and continue to bring up these discussions about othering and this, like, exoticness mm. that, you know, continue to persist under this Western cultural gaze. Sure. When we talk about like world music and things, Usopp, that, and we don't really use that category anymore. That music to me, when I would, it was kind of fundamentally different from what we did here. So I wonder if we actually look at the music and you've already said that artists will go through a variety of different genres in, in their stuff. It, like musically is K-pop actually that different from Western music from mainstream pop, wherever it comes from? I think nowadays, what's interesting is that not just K-pop, but any sort of mainstream pop songs, one to produce one pop song involves multiple songwriters and top liners working mm -hmm. on a track from all over, the all over the globe. So I think that personally, I really think people who don't really know about K-pop and tend to you know, view it under a certain frame, they should really pa see past that K-pop label and listen to some tracks, especially the B-sides, because people may think that K-pop may not be for everyone, but there is something for all to enjoy, I think. There's a lot of creative minds working on one track. Mm. And I'm also a believer that good music tends to <clears throat> transcend boundaries and borders. That's why I really like seeing this uh, kind of like the Korean word, yokjuang syndrome on the Korean streaming services, when mm. a song floats to the top by word of mouth because it's so good. Mm. Uh, so we've seen a couple of examples of that lately. So. Hopefully we see that a lot more uh, in a worldwide context and people discover, you know, hey, like K-pop is actually pretty dope. So, yeah. Yeah, I listen to music primarily. That's that's how I approach these things. Not so much with the music videos or the, the status of the idols, things like that. For me, it's a good song or it's not a good song. You know, I like it or I don't. Are there any particular songs, Usopp? Like you, you mentioned these certain songs rising to the top or some people might not getting, getting into K-pop because they don't know what the, the dope songs are. Like, what are these dope songs? What are the B-sides? What, what are people sleeping on? Sleeping on. First of all, I think streaming services have done a great job of making these playlists like, oh, like top 100 K-pop or like Melon top 100. So mm. now people, it's a lot easier. It, there's a better accessibility than ever before. Same with the YouTube, all these platforms. And like songs are trending on TikTok all the time, which is another yeah. means of access. Personally, uh, well, personally, what I've been listening to, uh, Top of the charts right now. I, I've been listening to a lot of uh, female artists uh, like G Idol and Red Velvet's new albums. Mm -hmm. Even their B sides are phenomenal on this album. Very well produced. But on a daily basis, I also listen to a lot of non, you know, idol artists. Like uh, I listen to Korean hip hop a lot. Actually, a rapper mm -hmm. named Blue Blue had an album last year. I think he's really great. There's a, also a rap trio called Homies. Um, a little bit more underground, but I like to kind of call them the Korean Migos a little bit. 
mm. but with a very Korean flair. Uh, but yeah, and one last but not least, uh, there's a singer named An An Yeun. Uh, mm-hmm. She blends traditional pansori sounds in a very unique way, and I think that's why I think when we can when we there's all these like phenomenal Korean artists and to you know really lump them under this like giant K-pop category, I think there's a lot more to that discussion. Sure, my nephew is really into homies at the moment. So <laughs> can you just tell like just so I can be a cool uncle for him or something? Like can you can you give me a little bit on Korean hip hop either on homies or any other artists like just how do you hear it what is it i mean because is it's different from west coast hip-hop or, or modern oh, you know y- yeah go into it for us Usopp. it's interesting because um i think last week i actually got to see epic high and nice, I've, been, nice. I've been following epic high since for about 15 years since middle school and mm. there was a time period i thought like hey like why isn't epic high like why are they so consistent like their sounds their songs didn't really sound experimental to me but then I, at a certain point, I realized like this is what makes up Epikai. This, I mean, this is a type of hip hop that they created in Korea, and a lot mm-hmm. of artists like look up to them. I think the current batch of like you know, kind of like the hip, you know, the fresh artists like like Justice, Scary Boy, mm-hmm. Lil Boy. Um, there's a lot of different sounds being. I think there was a phase where singing rap was a thing, um, and then a lot of people call that out and like, mm-hmm. is this really hip hop or not? That's why I think Homies was a little bit fresh for a lot of people because they really bring this like sort of American trap sound. A lot of Koreans would say Ponpo, mm-hmm. uh, but while mm-hmm. still main while still maintaining that kind of Korean, there's like a Koreanness to this like American trap sound. So I think the artists that do that very great, like create take obviously American hip hop is black culture, but mm. you can you know experiment on it, put a little bit of spice and flair onto it, put make it a little bit Korean, and you, mm. I think that's something like Korean hip hop has to offer for everyone actually around the world. How does Epic High and Korean hip hop go down in New York or in the United States? Because we hear a lot about K-pop and, you know, K-pop's pretty, for the most part, it's pretty like middle class. It's easy to access. It's not too much in your face. You can watch it with your young kids or your grandmother. What's the response with Korean hip hop? I think Epikai is also Epikai is a little bit different, obviously, because you have Tablo as a front man who yeah. speaks English fluently. Um, if I compare my Epikai concert experience in, in both in New York, but compare my Epikai concert experience to twice earlier this month, also mm. in New York, mm. very different vibes. Uh, I guess it's, it's like K-pop versus Korean hip hop. It's a little bit, I don't know how to describe it, but at least for Epikai, I see that a lot of fans have been following them for at least a couple of years. Because a lot of their hits go back to maybe like when I was in middle school, um, back in like 2007 or something. Mm. And people are still chanting along. Maybe they picked it up recently, but I also saw a lot of diversity in actually both Twice and Epic High concerts. So maybe this is a good thing generally for Korean music that are or Korean artists that are touring abroad. We see diversity more so than ever before. People that look, people that don't even look like me. Uh, yeah. If I were to go to a like a tour of a Korean artist maybe like 10 years ago, I guarantee mm-hmm. it would have been mostly East Asians, but today it's a little bit of a different discussion. Nice. Um, I followed Tableau on, on Twitter and I saw pictures of the mm-hmm. concerts, things like that. It mm-hmm. looks great, man. Yeah, it's good mm-hmm. stuff. He's very cool on there. Um, tell me about Twice then. I didn't know you'd seen Twice. What was the what was the Twice concert like in New oh, York? Goodness. Um, Twice. <laughs> so, somehow I ended up getting box seats for that concert. Nice. I do think that... Uh, for a, for a K-pop, for a concert of that caliber of like a top idol group, I do think mm-hmm. I need to be in the standing section next time to see them a little bit up close. 
I think, um, and my experience with Twice is that mm. um, obviously, like I saw them debut. I was more of a Closers fan. I was like fanboying by myself at home, usually mm. just listening to them. But this was the first time I went to an actual Twice concert, and I went full out with my fanboy mode. I sang along to all the songs, and I realized it is a different, very different experience if you, you know, going to an actual concert and singing along this K-pop idol, I K-pop idol tour mm. in a foreign country. I do think that if I were in Korean, the band chants would have been kind of louder. But I do think that there is something about the Korean lyrics that, uh, you know, non-Korean fans have to put in a little bit of effort to learn it. Mm. So that's what I that's some that's an interesting uh, distinction. I realized, hey, like the fans that are here are making a lot of effort because obviously a lot of Twice's lyrics are in Korean, which means that the fans have to put in the effort to maybe try if they really want to engage with the music, they want to, you know, to understand the lyrics a little bit. Right. So that's something that went in my head as I was uh, chanting the chorus of every single song that was going on. You're not allowed to sing or chant here at the moment still because of COVID. Yeah, like at the baseball that. games and things like that yeah. and at the concerts, right? They're doing that. Um, you mentioned, Usok, this idea that 10 years ago, if you went to one of these concerts, it would primarily be East Asian people. So, I, But now it's much more diverse and you see a wide range of people. So I wonder if I can respectfully try to um, touch on this issue of like cultural representation or being able to see yourself. So uh, obviously this is a different experience for, for you and for me. And so... What does that mean, for example, for you, for other Korean people, for East Asian people, people around the world, I guess, when they start seeing themselves represented in the Grammys or the mainstream media or when they don't see themselves? What has that experience been like? Yeah, so I talk, I think I talk about this in the book where my yeah. experience is that uh, so I came to the United States in second grade, not knowing this language. I was like kind of thrown to the wolves uh, into the wilderness. Mm. And one day I turned on MTV. Um, obviously, I was so used to watching Korean television and listening to Korean music of like early 2000s. I come here, I turn on MTV. There's like Justin Timberlake, Kanye West, all these like cool, like cool productions. Like the scale is not like Korea at all. It's mm. so big. And then I realized, okay, well, where's like the Asian guy? We're Asian, like Asian, like diva or something. Mm. There's no Asians on the entire pro, no Asian artists, first of all, on the entire programming, no like Asian host or someone giving out the awards. And I realized that this was around like fourth grade. Mm. And I'm like, man, um, maybe like it would be cool if there were, if I did see like a star up there, like how I saw back in Korea. Like if I turn on the TV in Korea, I saw people like Xinhua, Lee Jong Yun, like back and mm. back when I was a little kid. Yeah. yeah. And, and now, like, I'm here in a new country with these all these, like, cool artists. But, hey, like, it would be kind of cool because, you know, I still don't know the language well enough. Even at school, like, I feel like a very new kid. Mm. So that's, like, a thought I had back then. And through a through an array of events, like, fast-forwarding after when the term K-pop started being thrown around internationally, um, I got to at least... So out of some serendipity, I think, I got to witness the development of K-pop in both Korea and the U.S. Mm. Uh, personally, for me, 2012 was when I went to college um, to, to California. Coincidentally, that's when Gangnam Style blew up. And I think that's when I realized, okay, something is something very interesting is happening um, mm. with this Asian, Korean pop cultural phenomenon. But I don't know why this is happening, but I would love to see it happen more. And I think that's that was 10 years that was exactly 10 years ago now so because yeah. that was 2012 uh so yeah what a far away we've come there's more progress to be made but i think this topic of asian representation in the media now is like the, one of the most interesting times ever so far mm. on that sense usok do you think that um 
K-pop is getting better, or do you think the idea of representation and diversity in the West is getting more open and accessible? I think it's a synergy of both. I think, right. first of all, the younger generation, millennial and Gen Z generations, definitely a little bit more on the progressive side. With and with mm -hmm. the generations that grow up with social media, where um, we have a we have a, we have a I'm sorry, I'm like, why am I tripping here? We have available so many different resources and information, information that we may not request, obviously, on social media. Yeah. But I think it's an interesting time where people really gather and share different ideas. People argue, people debate, people agree. And the world is, at least like people, there's a lot of people that are actually pushing for some diversity and cultural shift. Mm. Um, not just in the Western world, but I guess even in Korea, I think there is like the younger generation tried to make a move in towards that as well couple that at least in the western world now we have like a cultural shift where now diversity is rep there's a lot more diversity in uh pop culture more than ever before right differences are actually celebrated and now people and in the end now people have more entertainment and culture to enjoy like because a lot of people that didn't know about k-pop the past now like can you know celebrate and be entertained by all these like cool artists around the world and mm. that they've been missing out on this whole time and whereas i'm just like hey like i've been trying to tell you uh, um like uh, this is these are some of the artists like i've been listening to i don't know why you like found out about this now for example like epic high has been around forever but at least mm. you found out now you know it's great same with bts you know bts has been grinding since 2013 but at least you found out <laughs> so mm. what an interesting time now i think it's great that people are a lot more open-minded to consuming this kind of cultural uh, pop cultural content mm. yeah i think that synergy is really important it, it takes both factors um as well as the genre usok you also took you also talk so much great stuff in your book about the industry and how that plays out um like if you look at the k-pop industry it's obviously so successful i i think it's really important just to stress how you know globally popular hallyu and k-pop is i get international students coming to my classes from all over the world and they're, they're into this stuff so a lot of it is working what do you make of the industry what what are the main features what are its strengths what what are its challenges yes and i think this is something i was always like fascinated by and i think this is something also i had to interview a lot of people in it because i'm not working in the industry by directly myself mm. whether they were a trainee whether they're in marketing or whether they're on the music side and by the end of talking with first of all these generous people that made time for me we definitely mm. realized that simplifying this grand cultural phenomenon and industry to me, our idol dance pop would be a huge understatement for how many human resources are involved in this, in creating something, you know, great and magical like this, how much work, effort, and time people spend in their respective positions. Mm. And I think some people need to also, like fans also sometimes need to realize that people that work in the industry are just, you know, this is a, it's a job. Like we, it's just like a nice, for a lot of people, it's like a nine to, you know, 6 p.m. job. They got, mm. or maybe they work overtime all the time. But, you know, it's like, for some people, for some people it's a livelihood. Some people it's a job, but in the end, you know, all this culminates into what you consume and what you see on TV and the music that you listen to. So I think that goes kind of back to the aforementioned triangle that I mentioned earlier about this like industry and the company that forms this like one end of this triangle. Um, K-pop industry, though, I think obviously when we talk about the industry with this form of a 360 contract deal, um, it's been long criticized for its practices. Um, mm couple that now with like how much money is being made from streaming versus concerts endorsements live events etc 
there's a lot of topics within the industry that often get, you know, shown in a bad light. But I think discussions like this, you know, need to be, you know, kind of balanced out. What can we improve? What can we, you know, what have we achieved so far uh, for the, like the next generation of artists and fans? Like, what can we expect to see better? What would you like to see better, like with the industry or with the commentary on it? Or how does how does it go forward? Because I just from my perspective, the industry works really well and it, and it does achieve all these things. It does seem to be sort of reflective of wider Korean culture a little bit. You know, there is this sort of top down, very unified. You sort of dedicate yourself to the to the company. How should what, what's your take on the industry going forward? Can it survive? Will it survive? Will it have to change at all? I think a lot of this industry, because and look how kind of like how I mentioned for a lot of people, this is a job and it's a, yeah. any Korean company is a more of a hierarchical structure. And that's because the society works in a more hierarchical way than its uh, you know Western counterparts. Uh, we see less autonomy from a new idol artist per se. Like I say, I use idol group as an example. Hmm. There's obviously a certain trajectory they have to take. Uh, the company, which is the label and agency combined, this company system guides their entire career for a few years. And maybe when once there's like a breakthrough, then they can, you know, maybe get their cell phones back and have a little bit more autonomy. But that, you know, there is why that's why there is like an established culture and protocol they go through. And it works. That's why, you know, it mm. continues to, you know, be in place. But one thing, one change I do like seeing right now is um, the influx of talented uh, Elisa we're talking in the K-pop idol context mm. the influx of talented idols that write their own songs from the onset um, so groups like Stray Kids and G-Idol they debuted with like self-written songs and I think for the company to take a chance on something like that shows that hey like you actually gave these people like you know you actually respected the artist's uh, creative work well mm. enough to really count on them on this huge grand debut so that's like a trend I would love to see continue uh, going forward so like hey like these idols are obviously talented give them a little bit more you know creative control like let's mm. let them make the choreography make these kind of decisions obviously the company is going to know better in terms of management and whatnot but the, what the artists do best are they they're you know entertainers like let them entertain us uh, with their creativity and talent so that's one uh tr one kind of a trend i do like seeing mm. i think the fans want that as well i think in the current day we want authenticity we want mm -hmm. to see that uh personal expression that's really important um while we're on entertainment and and the entertainment agencies the companies so we have big hit which is now hype do you think that they've challenged the the status quo the established three you know did they come in and did they sort of cause a revolution or did they more like reaffirm the status quo and they just now it's the big four without any too much structural change what do you think high big hit have done in that sense it's interesting because as i was writing the, so i wrote my manuscript in 2020 um and high didn't rebrand until i think either right after the book was out around that period i think mm. that's when the restructuring and stuff was going on so in the book uh i wish i actually that happened a little later so i could devote a little <laughs> bit more uh of the book to big hit and hive yeah but I think it's really interesting because Hive has become um, like a company that's now discussing the same lengths with like Kakao and Samsung rather than right. you know, like a typical entertainment company. But at the same time, um, I don't think that should, you know, put down the other companies at all because the other companies like have been around for a while and they've had a proven success record. Mm -hmm. And with like an array of talented roster of successful artists over the years that that really shaped this global K-pop culture. What I find interesting with hype and 
the rest and also the other big three companies is that now people are now these companies are engaging in strategic partnerships with each other. Um, Hives, you know, fandom uh, platform Weavers initially was created just for the big hit artists like BTS and TXT, but now they invite you know other artists from other companies as well. And that makes me wonder and think. And Hive also acquired V Live. Uh, so VLive is under there as well. So now it makes me wonder, hey, like what if like um, instead of, yes, yeah, so I'm a believer that competition uh, fosters innovation, mm-hmm. but at the same time, um, hey, like these strategic partnerships may be really fruitful for the culture and the business as a whole. Like we'll get, we'll get even better, you know, programming, better content and IP, artists, talent, maybe you can actually uplift the artists in a way that we've never seen before on a global international scale. So that's something I like seeing, and I think it's super interesting. And with the uh, with the direction there that all four of these companies are going with this whole blockchain stuff, mm. uh, now there's I think more to anticipate. Um, I know a lot of the fans are concerned because they don't know what's going to happen, but that's the nature of showbiz, like entertainment and technology, change so fast. So. Yeah, Bob Dylan picks up an electric guitar. People start scratching on you know turntables, and it, the game's <laughs> changed. Um, before we get into those platforms, Usok, like Weverse yeah. and things, um, let's just talk a little bit about the idols. I think um, you know is a what is a K-pop idol? Is a K-pop idol synonymous with an uh, a pop star? In a, a broader pop star in Korea or a global pop star is an idol a thing unto itself that makes them a little bit different what how do you see these kind of k-pop idols yeah I think so so when we obviously refer to a k-pop idol we're referring usually referring to a very specific type of artist uh, at least like for a person who has been engaging with the k-pop culture it's a very specific mm-hmm. type of artist that engages in certain practices like you know, glamorous showy performances are styled in a certain way. Often there's dance choreography. What's also interesting that we make these arbitrary distinctions like idol rock bands or idol rappers. Mm. Uh, Nonetheless, you know, there's obviously a specific fandom culture. I also thought it was kind of interesting, like we consider certain artists as ex-idol if they've been pursuing a different trajectory afterwards. So like someone Mm. like Jay Park, we call him, he's a ex-idol, now hip-hop R&B musician. But that makes me wonder, like, idol and hip-hop army musician do the two things have to be mutually exclusive mm-hmm. when does someone naturally graduate from this idol title uh people don't really refer to like kim Tae-woo from god as an active idol he's a father of kids he's less balanced usually mm-hmm. so it's kind of interesting i kind of wish the term word idol um can be used a little bit more literally so that it's someone we idolize mm. but now it's kind of like a classification term for someone like in that you know k-pop idol pop star space uh you know just because it's they're they're an idol group doesn't necessarily mean i'm going to idolize them um like if i meet you know last last week somehow out of some serendipity i got to meet tabo and i would consider him my idol but he's not a he's far from an idol k-pop idol right Mm-mm-mm-mm. And to wrap up on this discussion, I think word pop star, I think it's also interesting because uh, rapper Drake released a song called pop star. And this talks about how he's like a pop culture icon. But if we take the term, how are you going to, you know, interpret the word pop? Does he, are you talking about that he makes popular music? Is pop in K-pop popular or is what kind of pop does it refer to? So these are all these like discussion, discussions in my head as I was trying to formulate that is K-pop mm. a genre uh set of chapters in the end and that's what boggled my mind so much 
Yeah, no, it's I get what you're saying about Drake and Tableau as well. Maybe maybe Freud would have some weird things to <laughs> say about where I'll go with this. But like <laughs> one of the things that I think is that if you're a pop star, if you're Drake, if you're Adele or something like that, yeah, then then you, you also have relationships and, and, and you live a life and things like that. One of the things that I sort of see with idols is that uh, they don't, you know, they're, they're incredibly attractive, beautiful, young at the peak of their physical performance, but yet often remain single. And I wonder if that's to encourage those relationships with the fans to make them idolized more. And do you have a take on that? Am I seeing it wrong or? Yeah, I think it's interesting. The personal relationship, personal lives of stars, especially in Korea, celebrities in Korean society seem to have always been held to some arbitrary higher pedestal. They're always a subject of public scrutiny. It's like people have too many, too much time on their hands and really care about what the celebrities are doing on their mm. free time, right? right? Sometimes I read comments and online, com malicious online comments, and I think maybe they stem from some sort of a, either an inferiority complex where they just want to release emotions living in a tough like life society. As to the relationships or the sex life, I think it's interesting how in Korean society, people often say, for when we're referring to like open-minded progressive viewpoints, people say, oh, it's like very American or Hollywood style. But, you know, what, is, what does that really mean? Like, are you, so you're equating America with progressive, but what exactly, are, you know, are, are we trying to say here? Hmm. I think we look at English comments uh, for a K-pop idol dating the comments are usually uh supportive they say oh like good for them hope they're happy uh versus korean comments are like oh like i'm gonna leave the fandom or they're not being transparent with us i think so at that point i don't think and i think there's a lot of mudslinging uh, across both sides of the fandom usually when something like that happens at something like at that point i think that's when you start to realize there's like a larger cultural difference in how people view view celebrities and these like paris engage with these parasocial relationships mm. is there a right i don't think there's a right answer but it's just that how fans of different cultures engage with their artists and idols that they look up to mm. and they yeah they come from different cultural backgrounds they have different expectations you know and there are different values in these cultures what about these fans then obviously k-pop fans are not monolith there's not just one k-pop <laughs> fan right they're as varied as they are anything um from my experience like i i write a column every week and and my wife will see the headline of my column <laughs> and if it's politics, if I'm writing about the president or something yeah. like that, she's like, eh. if it's K-pop, she looks at me and she goes, be careful. There, there's a, this is, <laughs> there, there is this feeling, I think. I don't think I'm making this up, but, you know. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. what, what's your take on this? The fans are really passionate and there's a lot of love and there's so much support. And there's also this kind of very, you know, thing you have to tread carefully through. Yeah, I agree. Um, even I was also worried when I was writing this book, I realized that what if I said, said something kind of said something kind of iffy in there that was like misinterpreted by like a specific fandom. Yeah. And I get the next thing I know, I don't know what's going on. They're going to, I don't know what they're going to do. Right. So I was, uh, I was very cautious when I was writing the book and I had those same thoughts as you when I was writing it. Uh, one thing is that obviously there's this like, personally, I also had that fear of malicious commenting or doxing and whatnot. Mm. I guess how, I guess, I don't know if I would, this would really answer the question, but how I compare like this K-pop fan experience, I'm being a K-pop fan myself, but uh, I'm also a fan of the UFC, mixed martial arts. And that fan, that also uh, invites like a diversity, diverse array of people that uh, mm. a lot of comments are absolutely terrible and stupid. But the main, a lot of the differences I realized though, across this 
mixed martial arts fandom and K-pop fandom is that people fight and get into stupid arguments and mudsling against each other, but most people leave it there. They don't bring it back up on, on another discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did one time I commented like on, on a UFC post. I guess a lot of people disagree with it. I got a DM from some, uh, I got a DM on Twitter saying it's calling me, someone was calling me stupid. And they blocked, completely proceeded to block me right after. Mm-hmm. I looked the account up and it was a 15 year old girl. She even had a YouTube channel like link where she like sings videos and stuff. But she called me stupid because of my UFC comment. Uh, but I think that at least in the K-pop context, what I noticed is that a lot of fans keep receipts and sometimes there is a little bit of targeting specific people, mm. which I think is a practice that really should not be supported at all. But at the same time, this is why I think Twitter is uh, sometimes some echo chamber, sometimes it's very toxic, but mm. that's the nature of the social media era we live in today. We can't police everything that goes within a fandom just because there's so many diverse people under one fandom and we can't compare different fandoms either because you know there's people all over the world using this one very platform to interact with each other mm. uh i think my goal is to really help destigmatize uh, stigmatize this idea of being a k-pop fan though because there's still this idea that you know obviously this like k-pop fans are teenage fangirls but do i look like uh, i'm a you know straight heterosexual korean male um you know going to twice concerts you know liking bts and exo mm. so you know hey like this can be cool. Like you don't have to, we're all very different people with different viewpoints. Obviously not everyone's going to agree. And pe- some people are actually toxic, but hmm. that's the nature. That's why, you know, we're on social media, right? Sure. No, no, I agree with you. And when you talk about these social media platforms in your book, you break it down and you're sort of like, you say, you know, Facebook is for the boomers. There's not much K-pop on Facebook, but it's more predominantly, you know, YouTube for the content and, and Twitter for the conversations do you see any of those kind of changes is it going on as we get into like we versus and as it goes forward is it changing on tiktok what's the relationship i want to ask usok between k-pop and social media and particular platforms um i think so k-pop's growth is so connected with the social media platforms that to the extent i wonder some there's definitely some groups that would have benefited from this current boom of social media mm. uh, because even when we look at just like 10 years ago obviously Gangnam Style took off on YouTube but what if um, 2012 to 2014 era what if like Instagram was a thing back then what mm. if Twitter was like an even bigger platform it is like now because a lot of this fandom activity happens on social media because it's, it's so easy for people like-minded people to gather together and share opinions with each other um and also when we talk about thinking and thinking about visual media such as YouTube and TikTok, so mm. the thing about TikTok, the thing that TikTok does really well is obviously it has the commenting component that Instagram or Twitter has as well, but also has that when the what's it called the background music. When something like when music trends on Twitter, it trends on Spotify and everywhere else. So that actually leads to a lot of K-pop going viral. People mm. make K-pop cover videos, like do the do the dance covers and stuff. So we're seeing an era where not it's, it's just not about commenting on t- we we have like the written component and also the visual component the fandom experiences, which I think is which is great. That's now this is the other uh, end of the triangle. This is the fandom and the culture. The culture now is synonymous with is actually being shaped by social media platforms and. Uh, it's just going to grow even bigger from here. Where is it? Where's next? I don't know. Maybe we're all going into metaverse or something, but that's the beauty. We didn't think TikTok would take off this much mm. until, you know, the pandemic happened and everyone got on it. So, 
Metaverse graphics look terrible to me, Usok. I, I, I don't know they're going to develop. <laughs> it just looks like, man, what, what is uh, this? It looks terrible. I'm, I'm not a fan. Maybe it'll change. Uh, what, I agree. <laughs> what about this? You're a dancer. You were, I, you were a dancer. You are a dancer, Usok. Funny, funny you mentioned that. Um, I, I guess I am a dancer. I'll have to actually dance for a wedding soon. Uh, we're going to get the boys back uh, for a wedding sometime. But yeah, um, dance was a is a pretty big part of my life, whether I watch it or perform. So who's got the best moves in K-pop? Who's got the worst moves? Tell me about dancing through the, the lens of K-pop, either in the current age or when you were growing up, who who yeah. really cuts a rug? How I started dancing was I started watching, obviously it kind of is involved with how I started getting involved with K-pop or like started listening, consuming K-pop back in middle school. And I started seeing videos of TVXQ, Dongbang mm. Shingi, which is mm. remains to this day my favorite group uh, because they don't like the five member iteration, uh, unfortunately, does not exist anymore. But I was looking at these guys, I'm like, they're doing this choreography and still singing live. And I'm like, how are they doing this? So mm. I, I'm in my room trying these dance moves out. I was a very shy, introverted kid at the time. Um, and then somehow I spiral into that's how I started learning about other K pop groups as well. Somehow I was learning about HOT and Xinhua going back to Sateji, and then now fast forward, I was doing dance covers and stuff. Uh, eventually, I moved back to Seoul. So I was this whole time I was in New Jersey in America, but I moved back to Seoul for high school. And now when we go to Seoul, there's dance hot ones, um, surprisingly. Yeah. And my mom was actually uh, progressive enough to let me enroll in a dance hagwon while also doing SAT, uh, you know, prep as well. Mm. Uh, so that's something I really enjoyed. I, I enjoy going to these classes, learning the choreography of different like K-pop stars like Rain. And I was like, wow, like me doing the choreography, like I feel, first of all, I feel energized. I feel like I'm a star. Yeah. Uh, and then I realized dance, dance is such a crucial part of K-pop that a lot of these idol idols uh that train all these hours they're actually legitimate dancers they can hang with like the best in the world mm. yeah no i agree with that the, the dancing is incredible and you know when you compare it today's dancing to you know you mentioned some older groups there shinwa uh, tvxq and things like that they, they were great at the time but it seems like the bar is always being raised in this dancing this performance this choreography it's it, it's it's all got to come together do you see that like is the the bar in K-pop being raised not only in terms of aesthetics, in terms of success, but also in terms of that whole package. Is it evolving? I think it's definitely evolving. The skill level is going, it's getting higher and higher. I mean, obviously that's not to discredit the artists of past generations as well, sure. but it's a different sure. time. Now we have YouTube, we have Zoom, we have all these like tools that we can create something. So we can, a lot, lot more tools at our arsenal to create magic. Hmm. In terms of the choreography, I think one uh, one thing that's changed over the years is obviously getting international choreographers. You fly them out either to Korea or they send you a video clip over email or Zoom. Mm. And the choreographers in Korea also take the take the video and they can also modify it a little bit. But that's all. That that's a lot of art being created in the process. Um, and I think with this, I think the silver lining of the pandemic, if we had to pick it out, is this whole Zoom remote situation. We can transmit so much. Um, content and information and also mm. art over this uh, remote <laughs> remotely. So going back to the dance discussion, yes, I think um, if we look at choreography, if we look at the dance choreography of current boy bands, they're very intricate. And now they also all sing live or uh, have to like maintain a certain standard of performance that I think it's good to see. I think performances are perfect, but at the same time, I hope they're not 
I hope they can at least breathe and chill a little bit in the, you know, in between these performances because some of these dances are wild, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think when it is raising the bar, we, we see how far it will go. Um, when you talk about creating art and things like that um, and the digital nature of Zoom, like these NFTs and, and, and things like that, that's where Hybe seems to be going, pushing these forward. Other uh, The other entertainment agencies are on it as well. I must admit, I I'm I don't know much about NFTs. Maybe I'm mm -hmm. old. Like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't get it. But I've got some artist friends who make them, and they seem to be making bank from them. But then yeah. I I get like, can't I just right click and save this thing? What's going on? Uh. Copy paste, right? So, what do you make about K-pop delving into the world of NFTs, metaverses, getting there? Because there seems to be some kind of the fans. Some are on board. Some are not. Yeah. How's that going? I think, first of all, I think I did think this was inevitable when the concept of NFT is diversifying the IP and content. And in a similar way, they've been doing this with merchandise. So you say well, you buy a limited edition album and it gives you an exclusive photo card that mm. no one else has. It's one of a kind. So that idea is somewhat parallel to this concept. But there's a lot more layers to this. Obviously, fans are annoyed about the environmental concerns, if they, especially if the artists were ambassadors for environmental organizations and now there's something mm. contradictory about the company pushing something that's detrimental mm. i don't think there's any way around that uh, to be honest companies can say it will use eco-friendly blockchain solutions but uh, you know let's be real right um also another thing is that so all company all the major companies are diving into the nft and metaverse content partner they're partner making partnerships with blockchain platforms so mm. sjm and sm and yg are partners partnering with binance which is uh which is not uh, binance and uh, jyp and hybe are partnering with dunamu which is a domestic company hybe is uh basically diversifying their ip strategy by creating this blockchain crypto exchange with dunamu and why we don't know for certain what kind of nfts are going to come out of this obviously the people at the company know way better than we do mm. but i think we just have to hold on tight and the thing is that thing about nfts is that no one is forcing you to buy nfts they're just going to i think how i see this is that they're just going to have it uh, they're just going to have it as a form of some sort of like ip that you can consume and supply and demand i'm sure someone will come forward and invest in them mm. now there's a video I saw actually a couple of weeks ago uh, posted by a channel called OK Pop. It's a channel under Gaon Chart, the organization that aggregates all the streaming, uh, all the digital sales in Korea. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty legitimate lecture that dissects this relationship, why fans are annoyed. Uh, to simplify or how I see this kind of is that we already have an established social structure between the fandom, the company, and the artists in the triangle. Mm. In comes this other new medium called NFTs, and which has the potential to invite a bunch of people that are not part of this community in, uh, and just kind of invade this fandom space. Mm. Let's say a bunch of um, invest people that want to invest in this rare NFT, K-pop NFT project come in, they swoop all the NFTs and uh, take all the benefits associated with it that really perturb that really disturbs the fandom experience for a lot of people including myself mm -hmm. if i saw someone uh that really doesn't care for the artist they only care about investing in the nft because it looks cool or they see it as a long-term value mm -hmm. uh, i do think that my experience would be i would be a little bit annoyed at the same time i do think the longer this goes there will be people will eventually learn about it kind of like how a couple of years ago, Bitcoin was a term that people like was Bitcoin. And now at least like it's kind of becoming an everyday term now. Yep. Yeah. yeah. 
we see artists uh, like some artists have already launched their NFT collections um, on the Korean Clayton. It's called the blockchain blockchain platforms called Clayton. So mm-hmm. artists like Sunmi, Seven, Brave Worlds. So they're a little bit older art. Like the age demographic of these artists are a little bit older. Sunmi is also a veteran. Uh, so she has a little bit more leeway to pursue, freely pursue these new projects. Mm-hmm. So I went on to Discord for Sunmi, uh, Sunmi's NFT project. It's called Sunmi A Club. And fans are very passionate about it. They think it's very cool. And I think, mm-hmm. and seeing these fans' enthusiasm makes me think that, hey, like, this is art and the artist really wants to promote it. Now, I know that there was also backlash towards Sunmi's project, and rightfully so. People are still very divided on this issue. Mm-hmm. Whether they'll continue to stay divided, um, Probably, possibly, but I think this is something we just got to wait and see. What kind of NFT products are they going to drop? And is this really a hype or is this just a bubble that's going to burst at some point? Mm. Uh, my take is that, um, so my main hustle uh, is a block. I, I'm a lawyer and we also, I've been analyzing a lot of like blockchain NFT trends and stuff like that. Mm. And my perspective towards this whole K-pop NFT situation is that I can't say that I necessarily like everything that's going on, but I do think it's inevitable, and that's why I think it's worth at least learning about what is about to happen. Do you think it's important that the the K-pop fans have agency over the NFTs or these changes themselves? So rather than outside uh, actors seeing K-pop as a source of income or generating profits, but you know, and then encroaching on that territory, like you said, but rather that the fans themselves, because when I think of the fans, Usok, like you know and, and just try to understand them the amount of dedication and work they do with like this streaming and things like that they 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 feel part of the group success and they are genuinely part of the group success because they're going like out of their way to do all this support can the fans have agency over those developments nfts and de- technological changes mm-hmm. so why the nft space is especially booming is booming especially in the indian hip-hop artist space because there, obviously, the company system isn't so rigid and artists have a little bit more leeway to connect with their fans. And they see NFTs as, as a way to build the fandom community. Mm. So let's say a fan buys a very exclusive NFT drop by a rapper. Um, and then the NFT, the more, the more NFTs you have, if you have a certain amount, maybe like it grants you a certain amount of like uh, limited edition tickets or VIP access, or even maybe you can get like dinner with uh, the rapper. That was actually one of the perks as um, on the Sunmi's crypto project, uh, NFT project. One of the perks actually, uh, once you unlock it, was like actually like you get to meet Sunmi. So in the West, at least, um, artists like Diplo, Nas, EDM DJs have been engaging in projects like this and mm. building up this like focused community uh, based on NFTs. Korea uh, rapper Justice, who's one of the hottest rappers right now, has engaged in NFT projects. Korea is, is not as um, widespread amongst the Korean hip-hop, hip-hop uh, com- uh, culture yet, but I do think like this presents a way for Indian hip-hop artists, uh, especially those who, who may not have, um, you know, com- who, may, who may not be signed to a label or something. Hmm. They can connect directly with the fans and the fans can uh, monetarily support the artists directly. And I think that's the value of music NFTs or some sort, that's the value of music NFTs that a lot of people seem to uh, support at least in this space mm. for now yeah that makes a lot of sense because it's it's like just a development of the fan club or something like that or a patreon or a gofundme mm-hmm. but you know it works in two ways you're giving money to people you want to support but getting something yeah. back in return in that sense it seems to make sense when you talk a lot about um korean hip-hop and things like that and mm. so i wonder 
and I'm not sure on this, so I'd, I'd like your take on it, Usok. <laughs> does the does the success of K-pop, which is you know genuine, it is, it, does the success of K-pop drown out the possibility of other Korean music and genres reaching that? Because in Korea, it's not all about K-pop. There's there's a lot of other great music going on. But does the success of K-pop sort of hinder the rise of other ones, or can they all rise at the same time? I would definitely love to see it happen. And I think it's interesting when K-pop, some K-pop fans realize that Korean mainstream public or like the GP general public, mm. a lot of the general public doesn't listen to K-pop on a daily basis, nor do they really care. Mm. Um, or, you know, K-pop for a lot of people, for a lot of Koreans, it's there. It's always been there. So you can choose to engage with it. You, can, you don't have to because there's a lot of great other music as well in addition to K-pop. I would love to see just a diversity of artists and genre, Korean genre, Korean artists um, celebrated worldwide. I think it doesn't have to be limited to like, um, you know, idols and whatnot. Uh, we already have artists collaborating, uh, you know, cross borders and countries all the time, like Eric mm. Nam, you know, Dean, Crush. Those like those are actually names that are being tossed around by a lot of international fans as well. Especially um, what's especially based out in LA, we have 88 Rising that is uplifting Asian American artists, and they do partnerships with a lot of Korean artists. Like Chungha did something uh, collaborated with 88 Rising, um, and so now today I think there's a lot more leeway. So um, there's a lot more opportunity to collaborate, and um, this doesn't have to be restricted to this traditional idol or company system that we had in Korea for a while. Um, and I think I have to. I think we really have to credit this to the spread and development of social media technology because now fans, uh, fans can fans can demand, hey, like we need to see this collab happen now. Mm-hmm. If a lot of people retweet it or post the same thing, obviously the artist may see it. Him, artist may actually reach out to the um, you know supposed collaboration partner directly. Hey, yo, let's do something, and that's how you know collaborations are born sometimes and that's like we see crossovers that we may never have seen 10 years ago because of some sort of logistic or some sort of like lost in communication thing we don't now that people can communicate directly with each other thanks to social media Mm. we don't we can see much more creativity and what i like to call just you know magic you know happen yeah man so if we're talking about collabs we're talking about hip-hop and k-pop i i have to ask you bts and snoop dogg I, I mean, like, I grew up listening to Snoop Dogg. I'm, I'm a white guy from the south of England. Of course, I grew up listening to Snoop Dogg. You know, uh, um, but what what do we make of it? I mean, they're, they're collabing with Coldplay and Snoop Dogg. Yeah. These were artists that were popular, with, like when I was at high school. Man, it's, what do you make of this one with Snoop Dogg? What's it going to be? Uh, Snoop Dogg. Well, first of all, I think I find it amazing how Snoop Dogg is so still relevant in pop culture after all this time. And I think it goes to Snoop Dogg. I, I think obviously uh, this collaboration I'm looking forward to because I don't know what kind of sound they're probably planning on doing. I don't know mm. if it's a hip hop based sound or a little bit more on the poppier. But Snoop Dogg, the way he's a, and he's also collaborated with Psy a couple of years back on a yeah. song called Hangover. Yeah. And the way he continues to reinvent himself, and he's also very invested into the NFT space as well. Mm. He continues to keep it very fresh um, for the newer, younger audience as well because he's kind of like an OG. Um, and then he comes on at the at the Super Bowl halftime show, and people yep. are still going, still going crazy for Snoop Dogg and Eminem and Dr. Dre. So yeah. I think some artists of that caliber, um, I think, continue to you know, it's, they're just timeless. I think, um, and I hope to see you know, now since we're on the topic of K-pop, you know, hopefully, like we can, in a couple of decades' time, we'll talk about you know, Korean K-pop artists and uh, you know, of that caliber as well. 
Yeah, yeah. Who do you think? Do you have any idea what's gonna last the test of time? It was recently like Soteji's thirty yeah. year anniversary. Um, I I got told I don't know if I but on on the radio shows that I do we're not allowed to play any Soteji songs. Like there's, there's all this weird stuff going on, right? Oh uh, yeah, Soteji has always been like I guess like that's the price of being an icon. All these rules around you. And... Yeah, who's been, gonna last? Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. But the way I think Soteji like. It's, it's, that's I think that's the thing about Icon. We still talk about Satoshi after all mm -hmm. these years, and it's just that, and he doesn't release music very frequently either. But same with Satoshi. If, if we go back, like Choyong Pil had an album. I remember when I was a freshman in college in 2013, and I was I was very anticipating it because um, it Bounce or something or Hello. Was yes, it? yeah. Bounce came out first, and I was like, this is actually very trendy. Um, how does he manage <laughs> to do this? And then I was, uh, and then I think the song called "Hello" came out after it featured a rapper named Verbal Gent, who was like pretty hot at the time. Yeah. And to me, I just was like, "Wow, this is like a I don't know how old he was, like sixty or something." And I was like, "Some uh, some you know musicians, I think you know probably continue to test themselves, um, experiment with different sounds, and because you need you probably know that obviously you have a fandom that grows old with you." Mm. Uh, but obviously you also want to bring in the new masses, the newer generation as well. And I think that's a, probably like a, some sort of uh, challenge for artists that continue to make music into their older years. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder on that subject, Usok, yeah. I wonder whether Hallyu will continue as, as well, of course it will yeah. continue, but I mean, in terms of its success, because if you look back at the, the rise of Hong Kong films, that yeah. was huge. Then you had Japanese, um, with its with its manga, with its Nintendo, everything. Yeah. Now it's on Korea. So is this yeah. like kind of a cyclical thing which will go around, or do you think that this Hallyu international success where it is right now, because it's crushing it, can that yeah. keep going? And that's also the question. When I, when I was researching for this book and talking with experts, I asked even I asked Professor Lee, "Hey, what do you think is going to happen next?" And everyone had a different answer. But yep. I think no one. I think had like a no one could pinpoint accurately to exactly what's going to happen obviously right but personally i think well one thing in the near future obviously one thing hinges on bts and hype uh whether we like it or not uh they have the military service i have never seen bts live so i kind of do realize that once they go off to the military my time is kind of running out but mm. there's one factor like that but i think one other thing that comes to mind is that we saw with content like squid game we, I don't think anyone really anticipated Squid Game to take off in that kind of caliber. Mm. Obviously, it was the show was very entertaining, but to see everyone dress in America on Halloween like that, it was just like unfathomable. Yeah. So we with good good pop cultural content that Korea continues to invest and in, you know produce, maybe you know we can expect more of these phenomena to happen. We can see like more like we can see more like global scale Squid Game BTS. Now when we talk about like up and comers and rookies, what could we expect from them? Um, I think, I think it was a lot easier to predict in the past generations when the world wasn't moving as fast, but now with, because technology is uh, progressing so rapidly. And as we mentioned before, the standards, the bars are being raised so high. So I think we mm -hmm. got to continue to up each other. Um, so we don't know really. I, I think we've been also having less of this, like passing of the torch moments. I consider like, like let's say Sotejian boys disbands mm. and then HOT comes out kind of thing. Mm. Uh, Big Bang goes on hiatus and then now BTS is a worldwide icon. Mm. Uh, not that any of that that stuff is related, but I think we did see like you know uh, like Soteji, Three Dragon, BTS kind of like kind of like different generations of people. Mm. I can't really fathom what is going to happen next, but I think that is also when I discuss with fans of different uh, artists, 
that is like something very interesting to see because we don't none of us really know what's going to happen but that's why i'm trying i'm just trying to enjoy mm. enjoy this as much as possible right the torch does need to be passed i think it's really important you know that we need to always allow the next generation to have their voice their sound their their music so important mm. you you mentioned big bang there they're, they're coming back right that's that's coming soon yeah are you hyped are you are you scared like thoughts, <laughs> <laughs> thoughts on that should they be allowed to come back i know there's even conversations another, around, yeah uh, conversations around that i mean um g dragon was like that he was, yeah, that was a huge man icon, like, yeah. yeah tell me about big bang's comeback and i think it's interesting because well at least pe most people around me are pretty hyped for it i think mm. one reason is that we at least i'm a millennial but we grew up with big bang um since middle school a lot of people that i if i go to karaoke with people of my age demographic we still sing big bang songs because mm. it is something that still gets the people going um so it's it's interesting i think we grew up with artists and we grew old with them and Sometimes we forget about them and go on a binge one day. I'm like, oh, like those kind of remind me back of high school. Mm -hmm. And now you see like an artist like making a comeback like after a long time. So obviously I have every reason to be hyped. It will be, I think it will be a little bit different than what we've been hearing this whole time. Mm -hmm. But that's because the artists also get older. Artists probably have different musical, you know, not philosophies they have they've been through a lot of other personal things right right if that translates into good music then obviously we as fans and consumers have every right to enjoy and um you know consume it as much as possible mm, yeah yeah no i i'm looking forward to it i i want to see where they are now because it's i think it's hard to sometimes in in the modern age we live so much in the present that we lose a little bit of that historical perspective and i think the impact that big bang were having at the time what g dragon mm. was doing with his with his sounds production is like aesthetic his gender yeah. bending man was out there and was i think really and amount of influence he had over the upcoming k-pop groups and also in the hip-hop scene as well i thought mm. and i think when i was in high school g dragon when he first launched his solo career with heartbreaker he was getting a lot of hate um, from all sides but I think that's where an artist like when an artist succeeds you win over the people over over time with your music and your presence and now you know people are like where's what's G-Dragon doing like he's been back from the military like why is he got to give us new music mm. so I think that's how you continue to be you know remembered by the people and I think that's something like if I was a creative uh, you know that's I think what would motivate me to continue doing more yeah and i i think the really influential people do get hate like yeah. sodagy got hate when he started doing g drag I, I mean that's what you do you've got to make people um i've always loved this music should um mu <sighs> i've forgotten the expression now because i haven't looked at it for so long <laughs> music yeah. should disturb the comfortable and comfort yeah. the disturbed love that and that's what it does right you know you've, you've got to yeah. you've got to make things uncomfortable just very quickly about this military service yeah right? um that's mental isn't it that you have these like g-dragon has to go and do military service you get these big stars maybe bts has to go and do it like does does there need to be change in that or is it like national duty these stars should do it will that hinder k-pop is there a way around it mm. Okay, well, as a, first of all, as a Korean American, I guess my opinions are, um, you know, obviously not like I, I, th I think I'd limited say on this matter. But okay. at the same time, as a from a fan's perspective, obviously, I don't want BTS to go. I think they should just they have all the momentum in the world right now. I want to see them continue to reach new heights. Mm. But at the same time, I do see why there's a debate over. Uh, I look at Instagram comments about this, you know, the, they're them like passing a bill about extending the age or like, should we just waive it all together? 
objectively, you know, if we're talking about like how much money they're bringing into the country, a lot of you know commerce is booming because of BTS. There's actually, you know, we can make arguments for, but obviously, you know, it's the law. You know, you can people can make policy arguments all day. So I I don't want to like opine too much into it, but well, who knows? Like maybe we'll maybe we'll have some sort of like entertainer specific legislation at some point. Maybe they can perform a. Maybe they'll like allow them to like perform during the service, like you know, go out to fly out to the Grammys again or something like that. That would be mm-hmm. pretty cool. Or allow them to you know still engage with um, some sort of you know creative projects of BTS's caliber, and that's only possible because BTS is BTS. But um, who knows, right? I don't. I, I personally, I would say never say never though. It's a difficult one to opine on, isn't it? Because it's so yeah, divided. Yeah, now it's like, ah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, put you on the spot. But uh, you also you also want societies like where rules are equal uh, for everybody. You know, you want that yeah. kind of thing. And right, right. I think that, you know, understanding the realities of Korean society, culture and life and what's going on makes the rise of K-pop all that more, yeah. you know, amazing to see how this this country this society has produced that um just a couple more for you before i let you yeah, go yeah. cuz i know you're <laughs> on time um you you write a lot about uh free reports on k-pop that you know go on otherness and producing stigma and you know the, yeah. the bad reporting on k-pop and you try to look for accurate representation and how can that be done better you know what what can what can change what would you like to see uh, improve the narrative, the reporting on K-pop. I think it's been get, it's been getting a little bit better in the recent couple of years because we have fans that are now knowledgeable and vocal, especially on social media, and they call out reporters um, all across social media platforms when they say something that you know really honestly is offensive to someone. You know, let's say as an Asian artist came over from the from Asia to do an interview in the U.S. and they'd be like. Oh, like what? What does it feel like finally being famous? And no, they've been famous. You just didn't know about it. Mm. But mm. it is. Uh, I do see why this Western-centric gaze and this sort of uh, you know exotic, like exotic fetishizing, no, exoticizing you know other people, it continues. But I think that's you know that's why I try to do my job. That's why I wrote this book and brought up these topics and try to continue to speak out against this kind of thing. We had that thing recently with Squid Game at, as well, um, because just because the actors weren't really known outside of Korea. I mean, which is objectively maybe, maybe, but there's a way you can phrase these things um, and not, you know, make it make it sound like these talent and creatives have not been around or elsewhere. They're already like top stars in Korea and Asia. Mm-hmm. So same with like when BTS first had to encounter all these struggles um, with these like sort of questions. Hopefully we'll see better journalism, better journalists uh, who are genuinely passionate about k-pop i think when you're genuinely uh genuinely like the subject you're writing about i think you put a lot more effort into it and i think hopefully we'll see a lot of um, diversity of journalists as well interestingly i don't think there's a lot of korean english-speaking korean voices on the western side writing about this i personally am not a i'm not in journalism so i don't do that kind of work but i would you know like to i would like to actually you know see more Koreans in that space because I think K-pop was made also possible not just because of people in the industry but also people outside of it mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. if we have you know more you know diversity of different voices that understand what's going on and see the you know pluses and minuses and think they can explore uh, they can you know explain them well hopefully you know this cultural phenomenon or this cultural phenomenon can continue on in a manner that we can all support and get behind by 
I dig those vibes. Do you do you notice a difference between Korean language and Eng English language reporting on it? Because I, I really like your book mm. because you're pulling on both sources. It's not just Korean. It's not just Western. But, yeah. you, you know, you, you've got a foot in both. And it's really good for that. Usok. Is there a difference or different narratives, ideas, or are they similar? Um, by similar. So I think re reporting on K-pop, there's actually not that many Western journalists, I realized that report on K-pop, whereas like in Korean media, K-pop is just one segment of entertainment. So like it's mm. always on the news. I think what I tried to do was I wanted to provide the Korean sources because for me, I think at least some of a lot of this gets lost in translation, not because of the translator's fault, but there's just like cultural nuances that just don't get translated over. Um, and for me, as a native Korean speaker, I wanted to at least like whoever's reading the book, I wanted to provide the sources and say, hey, like this is directly from a Korean news or a Korean like academic paper or like some sort of uh, st statistics. Mm. And maybe like you see like this stuff has been going on, like academic research in Korea has been going on for a while. Same with, um, you know, elsewhere internationally. But I think we need to do a lot more like cross-cultural research and collaboration, not just, you know, not just in the music space, but also in you know journalism, and also I know that's being done in the academic sphere as well. So, mm. yeah, no, it's it's a really good book. It's like I've I've read a lot of books on K-pop and academic papers, and some of them are really hard to just to understand what the people are saying. Your <laughs> your book is great because it lays it all out. It's well researched, oh, yeah. but it it's you know I I, I don't say that. Uh, lightly, and I think even before right. I, I was speaking to you, I shared it on social media and said, yeah, "This is, you know, really grateful for that. Thank you so much. Yeah. It, it, it's a good book. I did it because I meant it." Usok, mm. you're a busy man, so I know you have to go. So, <laughs> la last question for you, sir. Uh, it's a question I've asked everyone thus far. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> we're all in this world together. What mm. can we do to make our lives more meaningful, Usok? How can we help others? What's the meaning of life? Damn. Uh, but okay. Well. And what a, what a big question to end, right? But okay, how I would yeah, tackle man. this question. Um, what I like to prioritize in my life is finding my own passion and flame. Like what drives me to get up in the morning? Nowadays, like sometimes, yeah, it's, it's hard to get up in the morning sometimes. But finding that little passion, what gets me going in my brain to keep turning on? Eventually, I think it's all connected because once I find my drive and desire, I work hard towards it. I end up and somehow I realize that I end up inspiring people around me and people that I don't know. And I think when I wrote this book, um, I wrote it because I genuinely like K-pop. I genuinely love it. I like dancing. I like listening to the music. And I wanted to provide some sort of source. Hey, like, you know, let's, it's my passion project, but here's a resource like for K-pop. Let's just make one more print resource. Mm. I, and I got the messages from people. I've never, I don't even know, say like, hey, like, I don't know much about K-pop, but I think you writing this book, you know, inspired me to do something creative or some pursue a project. Uh, seeing that, you know, you already have your main, you know, job as a lawyer. So, and I, and I look to people that have similar, I think, interests and, you know, vibes as me that they have, you know, they can get their main hustle going. And just like you too, you have your site, you know, podcast. And I think I've always um, looked up to people that can, you know, keep in balance, like multiple aspects of their lives. Uh, so, and in turn, I get to pay that forward. Hopefully I get to inspire people, you know, that around me and also that don't know me. And that's why I've been trying to connect with a lot of people as much as possible nowadays. I'm a full out extrovert now. Uh, <laughs> some people, some people find that hard to believe uh, back when I was a, like a shy guy in middle, middle high school. But, uh, you know, that's, I guess, my take on this grand final question. <laughs> Are we going to see any uh, dance uploads on your Insta or TikTok or Twitter then soon? Are you that extrovert? <sighs> That, um, you know, I, I, I thought seriously contemplated the whole TikTok thing. I do think like there will come a time when I create a persona, 
for this TikTok. Yeah, yeah. hopefully it maybe it might maybe K-pop related, but I think that's something we'll have to juggle. We have to just let it go and adapt something, but time will come, time will tell, right? So I'm too old for TikTok. I'll leave that to you. <laughs> you <can do>、it. <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to see me on that. Usok, <laughs> Usok, it's been great. Thank you for、sure. everything. Well, thank you、uh, for having me on the show.